was trying to figure out what passage to, to preach this evening, and, and the passage I selected is one of the last things that I got to read with my dad. We were listening to the Brahms Requiem, and, um, which is basically just cutting and pasting all the, the good passages of scripture into one musical piece, and um, this is one of the passages, that, passages that's in that piece. And so this is going to be our text tonight. Um, so turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. For all flesh is like grass. In all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in these first words here that the Apostle Peter kind of ends the beginning of his letter, the very beginning of the preamble of his letter with, we have the span of man's life on earth compared with the temporal beauty of the grass and flowers of the field. Now, every year I look forward to spring when the flowers in my garden start to bloom. There's a delight and anticipation that comes from seeing the first new stems pop up out of the ground with new leaves and buds because I know that eventually those buds will open up and bloom into beautiful flowers. There's nothing quite like the time when flowers are in full bloom, and we savor the number of days the petals remain on the stem. From the lily's white to the deep vermilion of the rose, many have praised the loveliness found in the flowers of the field, not to mention the ink that has been spilled on account of the grass of the field. Like the beauty of the flower, there is another kind of goodness we see in the verdant pasture lands covered in thick swaths of grass. But grass is more than a beautiful covering for landscape. It is the food and sustenance for the shepherd's sheep and the herdsman's livestock. Indeed, it is life, it is comfort, it's vitality. Recall to mind the comforting words of Psalm 23 when the psalmist explains that the Lord makes him lie down in green pastures. Such green pastures sustained the flocks and herds of the patriarchs in Scripture. Remember Abraham and Lot when their possessions and their peoples became too numerous and their herdsmen started to argue with one another. Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock were arguing. So Abraham made peace by proposing they separate. And he let Lot choose the best section of the land, right? And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. If we could have it our way, we would keep the flower in bloom all year round for its splendid beauty and make the grass remain green and full. But eventually the petals of the flower fall to the ground and wither and the grass shrivels and dries. This is a witness of the corruption of sin in this world and the death that comes to all men since the fall of Adam. And so through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. 
The flower that falls to the ground and the grass that withers are reminders of the corruption and decay that plagues us in this world because of sin. Just as one flower blooms and drops its seed into the ground to bring about another flower which will eventually bloom and then wither, so Adam's sin is passed down to all his descendants and every people of the earth from then until now. Today we may be able to biologically alter a rose to change its appearance. We might even be able to get it to bloom all year round, but those petals, those blossoms will eventually fall from the stem. In the same way, man has no power over death when it comes. These words quoted by the Apostle Peter in his letter to the Christians scattered abroad are not meant to depress the Christian who reads these words, but are meant for comfort. The passages in Isaiah, which these are taken from, begins with the following words. O comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Imagine the help these words were to God's people in the midst of their exile. After giving themselves over to idolatry and reaping the punishment for their sins as prisoners in a foreign and godless country, the hope and promise of salvation shines through their despair after feeling the earthly consequences of their sins, God then pulls back his hand of discipline and says, it is enough. There was a similar comfort for the Christians in the New Testament scattered abroad and suffering under the tyranny of the Roman Empire, which we have here in Peter's letter. A testimony that all flesh is grass served as a reminder that the enemies of God's people were not to be feared, and would in due time be swept away by the earth, be swept away by the breath of God, which would bring justice upon them, and that the Christian's sure and eternal hope of deliverance is believing and trusting in the eternal word of God and resting upon his promise of salvation, that deliverance would one day come. Though they may have to wait for it, it would come, even if by death. Peter reminds them of the enduring hope of salvation, in Jesus Christ with the words, telling them that they've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If you do not know, God, these words, all flesh is grass, are hopeless and bleak. The glory of this life is the last goodness you will ever taste when you die and your eternal soul will reap the corruption of sin by suffering and eternity under God's wrath and hell. You will die in the corruption of sin you inherited from your father, Adam. If this is you, and you have no hope outside this earthly existence in which we all live, then consider again this passage in Isaiah. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. Sheep are stupid, right? They run into things. They fall into pits and holes in the ground. But Christ is the eternal and perfect shepherd, right? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? 
His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Consider well this eternal word, the very radiance and brightness of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who left his throne in heaven and emptied himself so that we might reign with him in heaven and be lifted and be filled with his goodness. He clothed himself in frail flesh, that same flesh that withers like the grass, that same flesh that feels pain, hunger, weariness, and death. But unlike the first Adam, he was perfectly obedient to his father's will, even to the point of dying a humiliating death. And having risen from the grave, he conquered death so that we might live and not die. Amen? Amen. From now on, when you see the flowers bend toward the light of the sun, know that they are testifying that our souls were meant to bend toward the brightness of the eternal Son of God who lives forever with healing in his wings. And he will not forsake any who humble themselves and call upon his name. You do not know what time you have left on this earth before you die. So repent and believe in the Son of God before it is too late. Now to those of us whose hope is in the enduring word of God, these words, all flesh is grass, are a merciful reminder that the glory of this life is fleeting away. And the good things we enjoy now are only meant to point us to the surpassing glory that we will know in eternity with God in heaven. So if God brings us near to our deathbeds through sickness or disease, we need not fear nor cling too tightly to the good things of this world. This is also a warning that our enjoyment of created things should not overshadow the love of the Creator. Think again of Abraham and Lot when the strife rose up amongst their herdsmen and their their livestock got too much for them to both bear in the same place. Remember, Lot takes the land that is rich and beautiful, like the garden of the Lord. And he moved his tents as far as Sodom. And we are told the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Think of all that transpired after Lot chose to move his tents next to Sodom, that decision to choose the better, more attractive land. The Apostle Peter later records in his second letter, How this decision led to the torment of Lot's soul. Now immediately after Lot separates from Abram and settles in the land near Sodom, the word of the Lord comes to Abram. God speaks to Abram and gives him an unshakable promise. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you. And to your descendants forever, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Remember, Abraham did not yet have any children when God made him this promise. But he believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham's hope was not in the temporal things of this world, but in something much better, the eternal word of God's promise. Abraham was playing the long game. Lot chose the attractive, beautiful land. Abraham chose the word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Since she conceived, since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them from afar, welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. As dad got um, towards the end, he wanted to read through Genesis. So um, we started in the beginning and made it all the way to the end. The, the last couple days on, on this earth, it was probably two or three days before he passed away, I asked him, do you want to, we've got three chapters left. Do you want to save them, read them each day, or, or do them all now? And he said, just, just do them all now. Um, and as we read through Genesis, and what, we, what we kept seeing was that God makes promises to his people. His word comes to his people, to the patriarchs. They get close to dying, and what do they do? They call their sons to them, and they remind them of the promises, Right? And then the next patriarch, right? After, after Isaac dies, then Jacob, right? And what does Jacob do, right? When he's dying in Egypt, he reminds them of the promises of God. He reminds them of the enduring word of the Lord that through Abraham, right, would come the blessing, who ultimately is Jesus Christ. We cannot hold the good things of this world too tightly, else we lose sight of the eternal weight of glory that is to be revealed in Jesus Christ. Do not make a decision to pursue the fleeting glories of this life that eventually leads to the torment of your souls, as was the case with Lot. Instead, eagerly long and look for the appearing of the true glory of God, which shines in the brightness of his eternal Son. And as Abraham did, live by faith and not by sight, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. It's not easy to follow Christ, but the reward is surely the best and the greatest, and it's worth it. I'm going to read, uh, my dad loved music, and I think this poem is fitting. It's, it's a well-known poem. I'm going to read one stanza from this poem that speaks about how we should live in, in view of what's in front of us in this world and the glories to come and how we should be preparing each day so that we're ready to come home to eternal life in heaven. It's called a hymn to God, my God, and my sickness. Since I am coming to that holy room where with thy choir of saints forevermore I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune the instrument here at the door. And what I must do then, think here before. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are weak. 
we are feeble, we are attracted to the flower of the field, um, the beauty of these things that you've created, Lord, that you've given us to enjoy, and oftentimes too much. We pray that our hearts, Father, above all things, would desire the pure spiritual milk of your word, that we would long for the eternal word, the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior, that promise that was made long ago to Abraham, long ago uh, to Adam and Eve, Father, um, that a Savior would come to save us from our sins um, and that we might reign with you in heaven, Lord. We praise you and give you glory for who you are. We thank you for the witness of um, death here on earth, that it is not the end um, and that there is more to come, Father, a rich life in heaven. Thank you for my Father and his testimony and his love for you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.